Back at the second Kings and chapter four, please. Second Kings chapter four. I want you to open your Bible there and uh, keep the scriptures open at this chapter again tonight. As most of you know from last week, this scene before us again tonight is set in the rural farming village of Shunem. That part of the land of Israel was known as the most fertile land in all of Canaan. It certainly flowed with milk and honey There was much wealth around it at various times. An elderly couple, an elderly man and his young wife rather, both God-fearing gleaned from the harvest fields and became wealthy. And one day they spotted Elisha, the servant of God, the prophet of God, making his way from Samaria to Carmel, as he did often. And the good woman of the house persisted that he would come in for hospitality and dine with them, which eventually led to them building a chamber for him attached to their home, where he and his servant could stay whenever they desired. This couple seemed to have everything that you could ask for apart from a child. And for a Jewish woman to be without a child was a a very uh, sorrowful thing for them. And uh, so that was known to the prophet and he sought the Lord and and a child, a man-child, was born into the family, and so we're at verse 20. Again tonight, we're not going to get finished with this portion tonight. We'll be back at it next week. I can't get through with it until the Lord shows me not to preach any more from it. I understand, of course, that we're preaching to a large audience of people, and people are leaning and listening to the Word, and we need to expound it carefully as we do so. Verse 20, And when he, that's the boy, when he, he had taken, when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and died. Story, of course, as you know, he was in the harvest field and he said in verse 19, My head by head. And the father said to the lad, Carry him to the mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees until he died. And uh, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. 
And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him? Today it is neither new moon or Sabbath. And she said, It will be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel, and it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, It is well with thee. Is it, we is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? And she answered, It is well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to trust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hid it, hath hid it from me, and has not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do, you do not deceive me? And he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take thy staff in thine hand, and go thy way. And if thou meet any man, salute him not, and if any salute thee, answer him not again, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose, Elijah arose, and followed her. And we'll end the reading there, and God will bless to us the public reading of his word. If I were asked to write a New Testament scripture over this scene here in 2 Kings chapter 4, and this tragic scene in the, in the Vale of Shunem, especially where the mother went up the stairs with her dead boy and laid it on the prophet's bed and chamber and came back down again. The verses that I would choose and I would have to write upon it is the last two verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and the last two verses say. For now I see through at last darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. That's verse 12, the penultimate verse. But the last verse, verse 13, one of the greatest verses in the Bible was quoted here on Sunday. And now abideth faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Now I have meditated for quite a while and studied this scene here inside out. And I have concluded that these three scriptural components or three scriptural documents, doctrines, are the secret of this wife and mother's surviving the sifting. I want you to think that to sink in. This story is full of faith and hope and love. Now let me do this for a moment for those who are interested in comparing and studying the scripture. The faith chapter 
chapter 11, where we find this woman in verse 35 of it. It says, Woman received her dead raised to life again. And like all the 25 names and more who are the heroes of faith in that great Hebrews chapter 11, it is just faith. But then when you come to the next chapter, Hebrews 12, faith is turned into hope. Because in chapter 12 it says, Wherefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. The faith of these Old Testament Hebrews stalwarts for centuries have brought hope to millions and millions of people. And I have been blessed all through my life, my Christian life, uh, as thinking about the faith of those people and how I have been encouraged to hope in God because they, because of their faith and what they've done for the Lord. And especially in Hebrews chapter 11, it speaks about these people in weakness. And I was thinking much about this today. This woman was in pure and utter weakness. And I was thinking of the others in Hebrews chapter 11 who subdued kingdoms and wrought righteousness and stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the violence of fire. They were scourged, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder. Men and women of faith. And we should take courage tonight in these great truths. And it should stimulate us to go on. But then when we come to chapter 13 of Hebrews, now I'm 13th of Hebrews, now I want you to get this. There's faith in chapter 11, there's hope in verse 12. When you come to Hebrews chapter, chapter 13, it starts off with love. Let brotherly love continue and be not forgetful to entertain strangers unaware. For some have entertained attained strangers unaware, angels unaware. You would think that this woman of Shunem was reading those verses because it goes on to say marriage is honorable. It goes on in chapter 13 of Hebrews also to say to be content with such things as you have and to remember them that have ruled over you and she was subject to her husband. And it goes on in chapter 13 to go forth therefore outside the camp and it speaks also of peace, shalom, which this woman repeated many times. So I just want you to think about that in Hebrews chapter 11, 12, and 13, faith, hope, and love. So it was love that constrained this woman. Paul says, the love of Christ constrained me, gripped me, held me. It was love. You see, love beareth all things. Believeth all things, hopeth all things, expecteth, endureth all things, and love never fails. It was love that constrained her to do what she did. And she had a greater love for the Lord than she had for her child. So it was love that constrained her. It was faith that propelled her. It was faith that made her saddle the ass and run and flee 16 miles to Carmel to where the prophet Elisha was. It was love that constrained her. It was faith that propelled her. It was hope that assured her. Paul could say about the full assurance of hope unto the end. She had a hope that the child would rise again and that blessing would come. 
I came across this wee verse in Jeremiah 31. Maybe it'll be a blessing to some of you tonight uh, who's praying for your children and family. It says, refrain, refrain your voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears and take hope that your children, take hope that your children will come again. Now let's work out these three principal things in this dramatic scene because the faith, hope, and love is weaved through it. Now we don't know what went on in verse 20, and I want you to look at verse 20. I can't get away from these portions, this portion. We don't really know what happened in verse 20. Only the mother knew. When she had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on his knees till noon and till night. Some think it was about three hours from he came in from the field. Now it was hours anyway because they were early in the morning out. Now, I don't know, and you don't know, and only the mother knows what went on in these three hours. Of course, there was another woman at noon who was in darkness and shedded in darkness, who stood at the foot of the cross. She didn't really know what was going on either. But I don't know what went on in these hours of darkness, I don't know what happened to this boy. I don't know whether it's sunstroke or whether it's a hemorrhage. But I am sure of this. And as I study this and prayed over it, I am sure of this, that there was some sort of a struggling match with this child. Because death is an enemy. And the devil is dirty when it comes to death. Death is an enemy. Now, whether this child was in pain or whether uh, he wrestled and whether he struggled or whether he had a fever or whatever happened, whatever it was went on, I think that in those hours on the mother's knee and in that wee house that only she knew the battle and the struggle that went on. You see, the devil loves to see children suffering. And if you look at the famines and you look at what goes on and the abortions and diseases and all it is, Satan sifts as well as the Lord, you know. And he takes opportunities and advantages. Slay the babe was always the devil's motto. Slay the babe. Right through the scriptures. You come to Herod. So I want to say this tonight. There was no morphine in these days. There was no calpol in these days. There was no, no medic, medication. There was no, no, no medicine, medicine whatsoever that she could probably give to this child. No Panadol, no calpol, no morphine. But there's one thing also that I am very sure of here. That Satan, the enemy, the last enemy is death. That Satan would have had no mercy on this godly woman. And the closer we get to the Lord and the more we surrender to the Lord, the more we may expect to be attacked by the devil. Because when the devil will get you into the sieve, let it be with your health, let it be with your family, let it be with your children, he knows how to rattle it. You'll not do what she did for the Lord, and his servants, 
and escaped the wrath of the enemy. I don't believe that there was another woman in Shunem, in Carmel, in Jezreel, indeed Israel, who would have entertained at this time the prophet Elisha. There was gross idolatry at the time. There was child sacrifice at the time. There was Baal worship at the time. There was civil war at the time. And the enemies of God hated Elisha. And even the people of God, some of them, hated Elisha. We know that. So he had a bounty on his head. A short time before this, after he took the mantle from Elijah, remember he came up to Jericho and the devil had poisoned the waters and there was a famine and the people were dying. And he sent for a new cruise and he got a handful of salt and he threw it in where the fountain was and he healed the waters. You know that story there in the chapter after chapter 2. And he healed the water. Well, water speaks of blessing and speaks of revival and speaks of restoring. And the devil doesn't like that. He doesn't like blessing. He doesn't like us when we see something moving or something real or something done. He doesn't like it. He likes the stagnation and the famine. He likes the church and death. He likes it in death. In the same chapter, now this is before he come near this woman, in the same chapter, he's going up to Bethel. He's going up to the house of God. And a gang of teddy boys or punk rockers or whatever you call them today, I don't know. But we know the Bible tells us that they started to mock him. They blocked his pad on the way up and they started to mock him. And they said, go up, go up, go up, Baldy. That word baldy doesn't mean that he had a bald head. The Greek word, the Hebrew word of that word baldy is bastard. So they were blaspheming the servant of God. But not only that, they were mocking the rapture because Elijah had gone up in the chariot of fire and they were mocking that. Go up! The same as Elijah. It's a dangerous thing to mock the rapture. And I hear people mocking it, but I tell you it's dangerous work. Dangerous work to touch these things on the second coming of God. And these boys blasphemed him and two she-bears came out of the wood and tore 42 of them. How many of them died, I don't know. It doesn't say, but 42 of them were torn. If you'd have been walking up the street a couple of months after and seen a boy with one arm, they'd have said to him, there's the best one of the boys the, the, the bears attacked. You seen some boy podding about with a stick and he was blind. That boy there was one of the boys the bears attacked. And the devil doesn't like that and the families didn't like it. And here's this man here. He's been entertained by this woman. When I say again, there was a bounty on his head. When you step out for God, when you go through with God and surrender to God, and that's why so many people don't want to go fully through with God. Way down deep in their heart, they're afraid. They're afraid to take up the cross. But here's a woman who was not afraid. And as soon as she steps out for God, and as soon as we step out for God and surrender to God, be sure that you'll be in the sifting. 
And if he can't get you, if he can't get the parent, and he can't get the mother, and he can't get the father, and he can't get it with lies, or with doubts, or with fears, or with bankruptcy, or, or something else, or depression, he'll get the child. Hear me tonight now. He'll attack the family. He'll do everything in his power to stop what God has for you to do in your life. And so many have not survived the sifting and they've went back. And that's just what he wanted. Now I'm not saying that the devil is behind every sickness and death of every child. Don't say that. But he certainly knows how to rattle the sieve with the children and the parent, with the children and the grandchildren. Look at verse 20 again. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon, and then he died. Now three times you'll get that referred to that he died. He died. He didn't faint. He didn't faint and come to when he came in after a day or a few hours in the chamber when a bit of air got round him. He didn't swoon. The Bible says he's dead. I turned on the news the other morning early and Pierce Morgan was interviewing Richard Dawkins or Hawkins or whatever you call him. And here's what I listened to this month. Here's what Hawkins, a professor at Oxford, was supposed to be one of the brightest brains in England. He says, when I die, my brain dies. And I said to myself, it is dead long ago. I talk to myself sometimes, you know, I talk to him, he didn't hear me, of course. He says, when I die, my brain dies. I said, your brain dead a long time. He says, I'm going to go back when I die, my brain dies. And when the brain dies, all died. And I'll go back to where I was before I was born. He says, I'll know nothing. I says, you know nothing now anyway. He says, I'll know nothing. Just before I was born, I'll see nothing and I'll hear nothing. And then he says this, science is the answer. And Pierce Morgan, as sharp as a lance, said to him, well, it didn't seem to be the way with COVID. <laughs> Boy, I enjoyed this. He said, it didn't seem to be the way with COVID because you, you, you said to put on masks and vaccines and now you're saying they're not working. Oh, he says, well... We get it wrong sometimes. <laughs> and I don't want a boy over me that gets it wrong sometimes. I have a Savior who never gets it wrong. Hallelujah. And on by pontificate. And the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Oh, he says, we get it wrong sometimes. I got it I'm not an Oxford. I left school when I was 14. I got to told them that the mass and the vaccine wasn't going to work. They wouldn't listen to me. This child is dead. And she accepted that it was dead. Now she did not accept that it was going to stay dead, but she accepted that it was dead. And let me drive this home tonight to whoever's listening. The mother did the right thing. 
and the only thing. She left him and shut the door. Now there's an evangelical twist here and it's this. She could, you know, have ran round the room and pulled her hair out. And she would have been quite right to do so. A child that God had given to her. And Elisha, who was about most of the time, wasn't even there. There was a thousand things that this woman could have said. She could have ran round the room. She could have screamed. She could have pulled out her hair. She could have hugged him and wept him and poured water on him and given mouth to mouth to him and pray over him. I'm sure she prayed all the time he was on his knees, but it's no use. He's dead. Just like the sinner. Dead. Dead in trespass and in sin. It tells us in verse 31 that he couldn't hear, he couldn't see, he couldn't speak. You see, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit. There are foolishness unto him. The God of this world hath blinded their minds, lest the light of the glorious gospel can shine in. And on this, God moves. It's God that has to bring life into this man, this young man. And as God had to bring life into you and I, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespass and in sin. See, here Spurgeon says, it's the, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that regenerates. And then he says this, God had a far bigger job creating the cosmos, the universe, the world, than he has to bring creation, new creation to one soul. Because he said when he created the heavens and the earth, he hadn't the devil to contend with. She shut the door and she came out and she fled to the feet of Christ. And that's all that we can do. We can give out as many tracts as we like. And thank God for the tracts. And we can pray all we like and we can mission all we like and we can go all we like. But unless God comes... We can weary ourselves, we can tire ourselves, we can weep to death, you can worry over your child and weep over your child, but there comes a time when you have to shut the door and leave them, him, her to God. And accept that you can do nothing. She accepted she couldn't do anything. And accept that Gehazi can do nothing. We'll be giving him a run for it before long, before, if not the night, next week. She has to accept that she can't do it. Gehazi can't do it. Science can't do it. God. Look at verse 22. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men. You see this woman's humility. You see her obedience. You see her submission. She asked her husband again. She'd done nothing without asking him. I, I have no time for those who criticize this man. She said to him, she said, I pray thee, she said, send one of the young men and one of the asses. This is barley harvest time. The harvest field fairly stopped, I'll tell you. That I may run to the man of God and come again. 
Now I want you to think of that statement. Send, it, send your servant and send it us. Is it all right? Are you agreeing with this? Is it all right? That's what you're saying. Is it all right? Are you fully in agreement with what I'm going to do? She's not doing anything on her own. You see the faith and the hope and the love there at the end. Look at the end of verse 22. That I, that I may run to the man of God and come again. Boy, there's faith there. She told her husband exactly what she was going to do, where she was going, when she was going, when she was coming back, who she would see, who was going with her. And there's a lesson to be learned now, man and wife. We all need to learn it. As far as obedience and submission and openness and transparency, transparency is concerned in our families and in our homes to have a harmonious marriage. Talking to a fellow one day, I says, is the wife about, don't know where she is, haven't seen her all day. Well, that's not good. Verse 23. And he said, wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. Now, he's not trying to hinder her. And it's not that he doesn't know that the boy is dead. He may be, be, he may be on a lower level of faith than the than his wife. And sometimes you get that, and you get it many times. It may not be on the same wavelength, spiritually. Abe W. Pink says here, he says, it was that he, he thinks that it was because he didn't want to be left alone in his grief. But this statement that he made that it's neither new moon or Sabbath throws another gem of light as far as the love of this woman's concerned. It would indicate to me that she never missed a Sabbath or a special meetings as the new moon was aware. So he said to her, he said, this is not meeting time. This is not a Sabbath so it, must, it would indicate to me that she went on the Sabbath and she went at meeting times. You see, if your husband said to you on a Tuesday night to, to come here to these meetings, said to you on a Tuesday night, where are you going? It's not, nothing on. There's no prayer meeting tonight. It's not Monday night. It's not Wednesday night. It shows me that she was so, she was a faithful woman, that's the type of woman. She was, of course, called a great woman. And she was great in many, many ways. But she said to him, she said to her husband there in, the, in that verse 23, she said, it is another moon, another new moon. And she said, it shall be well. That's the word shalom, peace. And what she says to her husband here, listen, husband, fret not, fear not, all will be well. What faith. And the boy dead in the room, in the, door, in, in, in the chamber. All's well, husband, I'll be back. Then verse 24. Then she saddled him. That was a servant's job. 
But she saddled that. On those days, dithery by this servant. You know, there's some, there's some women wouldn't see man in the road. Maybe she said, "Step out of the way and I'll settle that. I don't know. But it's usually the servant's job to saddle last. He got on last and the boy came behind and he prodded. He, he, he governed the speed. That was the way it was. If, if she wanted to go slow, he slowed her down. If he wanted to go, but he, she said, get on behind this donkey and prod him till you get him at full speed. 16 miles across the desert. And a child dead. What a woman. Peace. Peace. Verse 25. So she went and came unto the man of God. To the man of God to Mount Carmel, and it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi, the servant, Behold, could you believe it? Yonder is the Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with the husband? Is it well with the child? Because he knew when she was coming at such speed that there was something wrong. Had to be something wrong with some of the children. Or the, or the husband or the child had to be something wrong with some of them. And she said again, It is well. It is well. Now enters Gehazi again. And when she came, verse 27, to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to trust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Now I want you to hold that in your mind. Twelve times Gehazi is mentioned in the ministry of Elisha. Seven times in this chapter. The root Hebrew name for Gehazi, it took me time to get, find this out. The root Hebrew name for Gehazi is denier or deceiver or proud and arrogant. And if you study the life of Gehazi, of course, God struck him with leprosy in the next chapter. He was greedy. There's not one sign, one sign or one flash of faith or hope or love about this man. When this poor, distraught widow come all those miles at such a speed and lay down at the feet and caught hold of the feet in desperation. That was desperate when you'd done that. And she caught hold of the feet. He wanted to thrust her away. He had no compassion. God help us to have compassion. That we're hearing about on Sunday morning. Thrust her away. Well, so the disciples were no better when they were the feeding of the 5,000 and what are we going to give them to eat? And it's night and it's dark. And what are we going to do? What are we going to give them meat? And some of them said, send them, send them away. I away hungry. That's all we can do. That's all we can do. Thank God he doesn't send anybody away. Thank God he didn't send that dear soul that cried unto him today down the Donoghmore Road away. 
He doesn't send us away. Not one sign of faith, hope, or love about him. Scholars are baffled at why Elisha employed this servant. And I can't answer it. He's a liar, he's a thief, he's a hypocrite. But let me say this. Sometimes you get people like this very close to the work of God. Very close to the gospel. Very close to a church where it's been blessed. You'll get them slipping in. Apostates slip in un unawares. They creep in, Jude says, unawares. They're right up there, right at the head, boy, right at the front, and then they strike. Why Elisha tolerated this so long, I don't know. Why he gave him the staff and told him to go on, I don't know. And I never read this anywhere, but there's one thing I think the Holy Spirit showed me. At the end of verse 27, it says this, And the Lord, he said, And the man of God said, Let her alone for her soul. And the man of God said, Let her alone for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. See, the Lord doesn't tell his servants everything all the time, you know. Elisha was in the dark here too. Now, don't you blame us as elders if there's things we don't know. And there's things we can't pontificate on. Because there's things the Lord doesn't show us either. He didn't know what to do. You hear that now? He said that. And if you go through the scriptures and you'll find that there were times when God was silent to his servants. For certain reasons and purposes, he's silent to us. Don't expect him to jump now when you jump. There's times you have to wait, and there's times you have to wonder, and there's times you'll know, and there's times you don't know. And I hear people, oh, we'll know when we get to the glory. You mightn't know when you get to the glory either, for the Lord interest you. The Lord never showed it to him. Sometimes the Lord withholds things. Would it mean not better for him then to do nothing? Would it not be better when we don't know what to do to do nothing? So certainly there was no value in this. And, what he, what, 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 and, and you'll hear next week. Praying about with the staff. Not a bit of life or light or love or liberty or anything about him. The child was worse when he came out than he went in. He could be any worse than death. We're coming up to Easter next week. And I'm going to take up the rest of the story next week because there's resurrection in and I'm going to take it, tackle into this fellow, Gehazi. Because what you're going to see at Easter is the Gehazis. Oh, they'll have their staffs and their cloaks.
And they'll be parading on the television and they'll be up and down and they'll be going in and out of the congregations. The people in the congregation will be worse when they come out than when they went in. There was no value in the staff. And there's a whole lot of people today and they're getting messages from the internet and they're getting messages from YouTube and they're getting messages from this and they're going with other men's messages. But it's not working. This woman wants the Lord. She wants the man of God. And she knows and she will not leave until he comes. Would to God we would learn from this. And I'd say she, she was a shy. I'd say she had Gehazi sussed out long ago. And all the big performance and going into the room and going into the child. I'll tell you one thing about Gehazi, and I'll break it into next week's story. I'm going to quit preaching. Now. I'll tell you one thing about Gehazi. You never heard him praying. He went in and he laid the staff on this boy and he said, there's no life in this boy. And he came out and he wasn't one bit concerned. I tell you, whenever Elisha went in, it was a tough job. It was such a hard, a hard job winning souls, let me tell you, and praying for souls and keeping praying for It's a hard job. He got up on the child, Elisha, and he put his eyes to his eyes and his mouth to his mouth and straddled them on the bed. And he, got, he, he had to get up and walk about and go back again, go up and walk about and go back again. Souls are not easy won. And then he heard the sneeze. Boy, I tell you, seven sneezes. What a blessed sneeze. What do you think that must have been like? Maybe dead for two days. Well, it was late at night when they got back. That's one sure thing. Every time you read in the scriptures in the New of Old Testament of somebody being raised from the dead was prayer. It can be prayer. You trace them. This boy never prayed. Of course, there'd be no use in him praying anyway. But they had to wait for the man of God to come. And he came. And things changed. We're going to take it up again next week. God bless you. Let us pray. Just let us think a wee moment over some of the things we've heard. Process them, as the man said. Let us process them. Tis a word from the Lord. (coughs) 
Father, we thank you for these Old Testament stories and truths. Lord, we thank thee how we can familiarize ourselves with them and identify ourselves with them in so many different ways. Father, we thank you what you teach us through your word. And Lord, just everyday life. And Lord, we realize that we're dealing with dead souls when we go to pray tonight, just as dead as this boy was. Just as dead as those in the graveyard are. We can talk and we can preach and we can walk around the graveyard all night and shout and sing, but there's no hope, Lord, unless you move. And Father, we're going to hold on tonight again for souls. We thank you for the mighty time of prayer on Monday night. Thank you for deliverances during the week and thank you for what you're going to do in the days that lie ahead. Bless those, Lord, who must go and those who stay. For Christ's sake, amen.